You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Seventy-nine-year-old Avenel Cowgill was a Texas native and had spent most of her life in East Dallas. She had lived on Earlywood Drive for 50 years, and since losing her husband Jim in 2009, she was now living alone. She had two daughters, Patty and Janet, who both lived out of town, and she was also a doting great-grandmother. Avenel kept herself busy, volunteering, donating to charity, and helping at her church, something she was very passionate about. Her fellow members said you couldn't have met a kinder person. She would have given you the shirt off her back and did everything she could to help out anyone who needed it. The church had become a second family for her and the bond they all shared was very close. She was a fantastic cook and became well known for her baking, specifically her cookies, and she would often bring them in big batches for everyone to enjoy. She spent March 7th volunteering at her church, nothing out of the ordinary, mainly answering the phone in the office, as well as putting together some flyers. She left at 3.30pm and made a stop at a local store before heading home. Her daughter said her usual evening routine was relaxing in front of the TV and working on her crochet. Charity was never far from her mind and she would often spend her evenings making hats that she would donate to the homeless. March 9th was a cold and rainy day. Janet hadn't heard from her mother at all and phoned her to remind her to put the clocks forward an hour that night. Avenel and her daughters spoke every day, but this time the usual and prompt response from her never came. Perhaps she had just stayed out later at the church, her daughter thought. Later that night, however, Janet got a call of her sister. Patty was hoping Janet had heard from their mom as Patty hadn't heard anything for two days. A feeling of panic set in straight away, and they called authorities and requested a welfare check. Where's your emergency? I have an elderly mother that lives in Dallas, and we're not able to get in touch with her, and I want to know if we can get somebody over there to check on her. Officers arrived at Avenal's home at around 11pm. They knocked on the door several times, but they too were met with silence. A stack of newspapers was sat on the front porch, and after a walk around the building, they noticed the back door was wide open. The lights and television were still on, and her knitting materials were next to her armchair. The officers turned off the television and called out her name. As they walked into the kitchen and dining area, they found her face down in a pool of blood on the floor. She had been beaten and had severe blunt force trauma. It was clear that she had been dead for a few days. Her purse, ID, along with some of her jewellery and coin collection were missing. Her kitchen bin had been emptied and there was a wooden stool near her body, which had blood on it. There were no signs of a forced entry, indicating she could have known the person or people and let them in without any concern. 
and after the attack happened, they ran out the back door. But being 79 years old, 5 foot 3 and very petite, it was also entirely possible that she had opened the door before being completely overpowered. Homicide detective Scott Sayers was handed the case and arrived there just after midnight. Janet was still holding out hope and ringing her mother's phone, praying she would suddenly pick up and have some simple explanation. Detective Sayers answered the phone and broke the awful news. Two rewards totalling $15,000 were offered up and police started going door to door. East Dallas neighborhood is shocked and furious over the murder of a 79-year-old woman neighbors say everyone loved. Police got a call to check on Avenel Cowgill at her home last night on Earlywood Drive, but when officers arrived at her home, they found her body. NBC 5's Mark Schneider talked to neighbors and police. He joins us live. And Mark, police really need help on this case. They could use some help. They've got no witnesses, and they don't even know when Ms. Cowgill died, although they say it was recently. They say when they got there, the back door was wide open, which leads them to believe this was a burglary. It's obvious there's still a lot police don't know in this case. Amanda? All right, Mark Schneider live in Dallas. Her family could think of no one who would have wanted to hurt her. She held no grudges and was well-loved and respected in her community. None of her neighbours recalled seeing or hearing anything. This then made the police think that whoever her killer was most likely got in via the back door, as this was far less noticeable. The police now believe that she was killed either Thursday night or early Friday. Her body was discovered at the house on Saturday, and the police are hoping this $15,000 reward will attract some clues to solve this case. Neighbors here say they don't remember seeing or hearing anything suspicious in recent days, but Jerry Calder says he'd love to be able to recall something that could help police. Things that go bump in the night, you don't get scared that they're the boogeyman or something. You know, you just don't go out and check every little thing that could be going on. When something like this happens, it makes you second guess. I, I need to be keeping an eye on things that go on. I was just blown away. You know, it was just a heartbreaking thing. You know, it's just the, the sweet old lady that, you know, lives down here and never heard a fly. Just um, this terrible, terrible, tragic thing. The last time anyone remembers hearing from Cowgill was Thursday, but on this street where nothing ever happens, not seeing her Friday or Saturday didn't set off any alarm bells. I just see her picking up paper every morning, you know, and I hadn't seen her in a few days, but uh, that was uh, the only thing I can say. She was the sweetest uh, woman of the world. She, she was known for her cookies. She was great. You know, if it would have been a natural cause, it would be so different. But when you think about, you know, somebody broken in and I couldn't imagine how she, she felt. She would have given anyone anything they wanted. And for her to invade her home, take her life, unbelievable. Fortunately, her house phone had several voicemails, voicemails from her bank. The fraud department had called her a day after police believed she had been killed. Attempts had been made on her credit cards that had flagged up straight away. An attempt to withdraw money had been made at an ATM at 11pm the day she was last seen alive. The footage from the ATM was grainy and blurred, but it confirmed it was most definitely not Avenal using her own cards, and further supported their thoughts that she had been killed on the 7th. A few hours later, just after 2.30am, a successful purchase had been made at a Walmart on Forest Lane, just a 10-minute drive from her home. Fortunately, 
Walmart was full of cameras and open 24-7, so officers were quickly able to take a look at the footage. The cameras showed what looked like the same man that had been at the ATM, and he can be seen pushing a shopping cart around the aisles. He then heads to the tills and attempts to make a purchase. The card is declined, and he walks away. A few minutes later, however, he returns and walks back into the electronics aisle, where he picks up an iPad. He swipes one of Avenal's cards, and this time, it's successful. After this, he calmly leaves the store. At 5am, Avenal's credit cards had another attempt made on them at a different Walmart, around 20 miles away. Although the man had changed his clothes, it was definitely the same person. He walks to the till and attempts to purchase a laptop and an Xbox 360. The card declines several times before he gives up and leaves empty-handed. He puts his hood up before walking through the parking area towards a Whataburger restaurant five minutes away. While he was walking over, a silver-coloured car was sat outside the restaurant. Another man gets out of the car and goes into the Whataburger. He collects his order and heads back out to the car before driving away. The man from Walmart then enters the restaurant's car park. He paces around for a while before the same silver car pulls up. He gets inside, and they drive off. Although the license plate of the car could not be made out, the men weren't being discreet and were leaving a clear digital footprint for the police to follow. Sayers and his team were closing in, and they announced to the media it wouldn't be long before these men were caught. They just needed that little bit more. On March 15th, Avenal was laid to rest. Right now, family and friends are gathering for the funeral of 79-year-old murder victim, but police hope her killers won't be free for much longer. Her daughter said it was standing room only, because so many people wanted to be there and say their goodbyes. Family and friends said although it was a beautiful day remembering her, it was overshadowed by the anger, frustration and fear people felt. Authorities released the CCTV and the footage quickly started flooding the media. man police want to talk to about a Dallas murder case. Officers say the man in the blue cap used Calgill's credit cards during this trip Hoping to the store. Hoping new pictures and video will provide new leads to help capture her killer. Help them catch whoever did this to that poor woman. I mean, it's just awful that this has happened. Um, so I'm very glad that, you know, this has come out. I just can't believe they killed her. I mean, she would have gave them her purse, you know. They didn't have to do that. Right now, police are not calling them the killers, but say they want to talk to the men about how they got Calgill's car. And here's a look at the car the men were seen driving, an older silver four-door compact car missing a back right hubcap. If you have any information about those men, call police. There's also a $15,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. As the public started trying to help identify the two men, Detective Sayers was focusing on the iPad and sent a search warrant to Apple. They had a serial number and model, and hoped Apple would be able to determine if the iPad had connected to Wi-Fi. From this, they obtained three addresses, one of which was a resale store called Entertain Mart. In order to process any sales, 
the store requests ID. Fortunately for Sayers and his team, Entertain Mart had taken the iPad, and finally, a name could be put to the face. It was 28-year-old Daniel Brooks, a known heroin user who had had run-ins with the law before. Daniel had just been arrested in the city of Richardson, just several miles away from the scene of the crime in Earlywood Drive. He, along with a man named David Heron, had been arrested for attempting to steal an elderly lady's purse. David Heron fit the description of the man ordering the food and driving away with Daniel. David and Daniel had gone to school together. David had graduated from university with a degree in creative writing before going through several stints in treatment centres for his heroin dependency. Daniel soon lost his job as a veterinary assistant and started using heroin too. He would fall deeper into his addiction, later losing his apartment and began living with David in David's car. The two men were still being held in Richardson and Sayers and his team headed over to bring them back for questioning. In a parking spot outside, police found the car and it was evident that the men had been living in it for some time. Detective Sayers was in charge of the interviews and started with David. He said he thought David would be easier to break and get the truth from. During his first interview, David admitted to letting Daniel borrow his car with the intention of robbing someone's house to get money to buy heroin. Daniel thought this was the easiest way to get money, but David was reluctant, having lost his mother when she was strangled during a home invasion. He said he was also worried someone might be at home. It was mid to late afternoon at the time, and still very light outside. Daniel decided to go through with it alone and said he would meet David once he had got what he needed. He took David's car and left him at a nearby Walgreens for about an hour. When Daniel returned, David said he noticed items in the car that were not there before. He also recalled that Daniel was no longer wearing the same clothes. Daniel appeared visibly upset and agitated, dry heaving and then throwing up. Although Daniel told him the house he robbed was empty... David said his demeanour wasn't matching up with that, and it was clear something terrible had happened. Detective Sayers then moved on to Daniel. In Daniel's interview, he admitted to using her credit cards, but said he had been given them by a dealer called Justin. He denied killing her, and said he hadn't been in her house at any point. After this, he asked for a lawyer, and the interview was terminated. There was no DNA of either of the men found in Avenal's home, or on any of the clothes they'd seized so far, and Detective Sayers was starting to fear they might not get enough to issue a capital murder charge. But a week later, on March 28th, David's second interview got underway, and in the presence of a lawyer, he gave a new and very different story. He said Daniel had admitted to talking his way into Avenal's home by telling her he had lost his dog and needed help. Once inside, Daniel said he had started threatening her before stealing her things. David said he had asked Daniel if anything had gone wrong while he was in the house, but Daniel said all he'd done was scare her. Daniel proceeded to change out of his boots into a pair of white tennis shoes. David remembered seeing something that looked like blood on the boots, but he didn't ask any questions. Police hadn't yet checked these boots, but they happened to be the boots Daniel was wearing when he was booked into custody. They hoped that David was right, and this would definitely put Daniel inside Avenal's home. David said after this, 
they made the trips to Walmart and slept in the car for a few hours before going to entertain Mart, where Daniel got $440 for the iPad. They then drove to a pawn shop in Oak Cliff to get some money for Avenal's jewellery, antique coins, her purse, and some silverware. Daniel changed his clothes again before he entered, something which the cameras inside the shop confirmed. He pawned the stolen coins for $40 before they arranged to meet a dealer called Cassie and bought a large amount of heroin. They used the rest of the cash to pay for a motel in Oklahoma City. That night, David wrote in his diary, No coming back. In the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. From around the bend, the train is coming, while my feet rest securely on the tracks. A sinking ship with no captain. This is ultimate sin. A day later, all the heroin was gone, and they returned to Dallas because they didn't know any drug dealers in Oklahoma City. Every bit of David's story was checking out, and was backed up by the CCTV. And, fortunately for the investigating officers, the test results were now back from Daniel's boots. They were positive for Avenal's blood. After David's car had been towed and examined, her driver's licence was discovered inside. Straight to NBC5, Eric's King, who is live at Dallas Police Headquarters. So, Eric, what else have you learned about this tonight? Well, actually, they are saying two people are behind bars for this. Let's get straight to the video because a number of people are saying this is very rare for Dallas police to give us this kind of access. You're looking at video of 28-year-old Daniel Brooks. We just shot this minutes ago. He's one of two men charged with capital murder for the death of 79-year-old Avenel Cowgill. Now, the second person, his name is David Heron. He's 29 years old. He's in the hospital right now with non-life-threatening injuries. No clarity given for Metro Police on exactly what those injuries were and uh, what they were caused by. He, too, is charged with capital murder. Now, both men are being held on $1 million bonds, respectively. They were arrested by Dallas Police in conjunction with Richardson Police back on March the 20th on unrelated charges. It was a brutal murder. Uh, it, it was a clearly irresponsible and dastardly deed. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, they took a life of a grandmother. So again, the, the why question keeps coming up. We asked that of Metro of, uh, of Dallas Police. They certainly are keeping that information close to the vest right now. They say the two suspects have been interviewed, but as far as the motive, they're just simply not releasing that. Just to reiterate again, when we talk capital murder, that uh, capital murder charge comes when the murder is done in conjunction with another crime. In this case, that has to deal with the theft of the electronics and the theft of the uh, debit card or credit card. But at the very least, we know that two people are in custody tonight, one of which in the hospital, one here at Dallas Police Headquarters, being charged with capital murder. We're live in Dallas. I'm Eric King, NBC5. All right. Thank you, Eric. Well, right now, there is... The charge against David was soon dropped due to insufficient evidence, and he was charged with burglary instead. David entered a plea of guilty and was sentenced to five years behind bars. Daniel Brooks entered a plea of not guilty, and a trial got underway. His defence team argued that Daniel's intention was to rob the house in question, but when he went in, he found her already dead inside. The defence also said that the blood on the boots was a transfer stain, and had come from walking around her body and brushing against it, not from attacking her. His lawyer laid the blame firmly on David, saying he was the creator, the writer, the director, and the main actor in this travesty. Unfortunately for the police, prosecution and family, too many jury members had doubts. On June 11th, 2014, after a five-day trial, 
the jury was in a deadlock, resulting in a mistrial. Prosecutors would not take this lying down, however, and found an expert specialised in blood splatter analysis. His experience and knowledge confirmed that the blood was not a transfer stain. The blood was in motion at the time it hit his boot, pointing to him being her killer. Daniel was re-indicted and again entered a plea of not guilty. This time, thanks to the hard work of the prosecutors and their new blood splatter evidence, he was found guilty of capital murder. In Texas, capital murder is punished with either a life sentence without parole or the death penalty. Daniel was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. Daniel's legal team filed a motion for a new trial, which was overruled. In 2017, they then filed a challenge to the overruling, saying there were issues with the evidence and how it had been presented in court. The true crime TV show The First 48 covers the case as it was happening as part of an episode. Daniel's lawyer argued that the episode didn't present anything fairly, and this could have impacted the trial if anyone had watched it. But this was also overruled, and the judgment was affirmed. After Avenal's passing, Janet said her last box of cookies was still in the church. No one wanted to eat the last one. Janet said she talks to her mother all the time, telling her about her day and asking for her advice. I sometimes just need her to be there, to talk me through it all and give me a hug, she said. Avenel Cowgill's pastor said she will always be remembered as someone that cared deeply for others and would have done anything for anyone. <laughs> 